Basic Bitches Movie Club, where we talk to music people about movies about music people. I'm Naomi. I use she, her pronouns. I'm Crystal. I also use she, her pronouns. And we are Basic Bitches. So for our season finale, it's family only as Naomi and I discuss 1992's Wayne's World, directed by Penelope Spiris and based on Mike Myers and Dana Carvey's classic SNL skit. The movie follows Wayne and Garth as a couple of slackers who stumble their way from local cable access celebrities to pawn in a sleazy TV executive scheme. So here we go. I kind of can't believe nobody chose this movie before we did, so. Yeah, well, I hope everyone's ready to hear us talk about Tia Carrera. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, in retrospect, when I first saw this movie, because I probably saw it maybe not right when it came out, but not that far afterwards, um, was definitely having some feelings about Tia Carrera. <laughs> I don't really believe that anybody of any persuasion would watch this movie okay. and have feelings about Tia Carrera. How could you not? I mean, let's, let's, let's place it in history. So it came out in America anyway, it came out on Valentine's Day, 1992. Mm-hmm. So I was, almost 10 and you were just eight yes yeah um so for me this is it's a little weird so it was a huge hit um and and films used to come out in in, american films used to come out in in the uk a few months later than they did in america so if something was big enough to hit in America, I think they would bother spending the money. And if it wasn't, it didn't. So this was a huge hit in the UK as well. But what's weird is they don't air Saturday Night Live in the UK at all. I think they tried it when it first started and British people were like, I don't get this. Yeah. You know, it's because it wouldn't have been live in the UK, because otherwise it would have been going out at like five o'clock in the morning. So I think that they were just showing, if you take the live context away from it, it's just a bunch of people with half written skits, half of which they're reading off cards. Yeah. It's a bit of a weird sell to another country. Plus, you know, we have our own brand of humor that's a little different. Yes. So I didn't know, not only at the time, but for years afterwards, that this is an SNL movie. Yeah. I also probably didn't have that same context for it, but I also think it's one of the few like SNL feature films that stands on its own. Like it it holds its own for sure. Most of them aren't even released overseas. Like the Blues Brothers was, but again, I didn't know that was anything to do with SNL. Um, But like, you know, MacGruber or like any of the Will Ferrell like none of them really came out in the UK Um, and Wayne's World they confused me further because what they did do and I actually double checked this on Wikipedia because I was like (laughs) did I do this? I did not it really happened because the movie was so huge um, MEC I guess did a deal with the BBC where they just cut out the Wayne's World skits and packaged them 
as if they were a show. Hmm. So like, you know, midnight on a Friday or whatever it was, Wayne's World would go out for 10 minutes. And that was it. There was nothing else around it. Maybe there was an SNL logo on it, but I certainly don't remember seeing one. I probably didn't know what it was. Anyway. Yeah, or wouldn't have any, yeah, wouldn't mean anything. So, yeah, so I, I didn't see this movie in the theater, but I think I saw it as soon as it was out on VHS. And like, so it was probably 10 or 11 by that point. Um, I do remember being very confused about that. Like, was this so, was this movie so popular that they then went back and really made the TV show? Or are these <laughs> really on TV? Like, I just couldn't, I couldn't put the pieces together. But it was huge. And, you know, I don't think we had it on VHS, but a lot of my friends had it on VHS. Then, you know, every time it was on TV and we had to watch it, we all did all the catchphrases. As I said, when we rewatched it last night, I remember my mother explaining the <laughs> yes joke to me because I didn't get it. And we discovered last night that they're saying fish in at the end. And yeah, no, fish ears. I had no idea. I didn't know what it, they were making this, this like fish gills movement on their faces. Right. But ears. even if I had known what they were saying, I even last night I was like, huh? You were like, you know, like real, like we got you, you hooked on the, oh, okay, yeah. But yeah. like, so I must've seen this movie when I was maybe 10 and revisited it over and over and over and over again and found it hugely entertaining, so stupid and goofy. Um, and, and like, even just at the, at the, the surface level, but as I continue to revisit it, you know, it's not like a deep intellectual film or anything, but like, knowing what I know now um, about the director, Penelope Spiris, who also directed the um, Downfall of Western Civilization documentaries, it made the scenes where like, where Wayne and Garth are talking to camera, like feel like a, like a different choice. I didn't even think about it when I first saw it. I was just like, oh, funny. They're like, we're like following them around and they're talking to the camera because they're just like cool, nerds which is also another thing they're both cool and also deeply uncool at the same time there's, not, there's actually not really anything cool about brain and gas <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things as well where they're like they're like heroes in their own in aurora illinois and yes. nowhere, nowhere else in the world would anybody see those two guys and be like wayne's world <laughs> Wayne's World party. Yes. <laughs> really, really, the really, really specific hometown hero vibe. Yeah, well, local access famous, like local public access TV famous, which like isn't a thing anymore. You know, you can't, I mean, I guess it's like the equivalent of YouTube famous, right? But well, uh, it's interesting because it's kind of a thing because Chris Gethard sort of came out of that. Hmm. Might be the last person. All right, I'll take it. You yeah. Know, also kind of a like a cool, but also deeply uncool situation happening there. <laughs> it, it still exists. And here's something that I think is important for everyone to know. Um, certainly in Brooklyn, all you need to do is go to the public access station mm -hmm. with a desk with your thing on and something that proves you live in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And they will put your shit on the TV. Yeah. They will put shit on the TV at three o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday. But you can be on TV in your local area very, very 
very easily. It's something mm -hmm. I've did multiple times because public access TV also doesn't exist in the UK. So that, that's another very American, that was another thing that I was like fascinated by, like the idea that you, you could be on TV in your hometown somehow seemed very magical to me and mm -hmm. seemed like absolutely something I would have done. I guess, yeah, you're right, it is a precursor to YouTube, but like just so much, so much more innocent. Yeah, well, I remember when we were like, when we were thinking about doing Good Morning Bitches, when we were starting out, beginning of the pandemic, we're like, we should, you said, we should do some kind of a like, a morning show. And you're like, yeah, but that's like, if Wayne's World were a morning show where we could just like play some songs, talk about whatever, you know, we're not going to have special guests on like the guy who created the suck cut, but you know, we, we did our best, but it's like, it also just had that right balance of like being really loose, but also having some structure. They had segments, they had some things. <laughs> we should probably just say to anybody listening that hasn't seen Good Morning Bitches, um, it's all on our YouTube channel. And a lot of it's also on our Instagram um on like Instagram TV or whatever the hell it is but we basically at the beginning of the pandemic started doing this at uh, 1.3 times a week <laughs> so, gradually <laughs> reeled it in yeah this Wayne's World was definitely something that was influencing that whole idea so do you um after watching this movie or from your experience watching it um are you a Wayne or a Garth do you think Oh, interesting question. <laughs> um, I think I'm probably a Wayne. I would agree because I am absolutely a Garth. Okay, well done. <laughs> like minus the super like tech techie, like nerdy stuff. I don't know how to, um, you know, coordinate uh, satellites to bounce the signal from uh, this place to that place to the limousine. So the record executive can see crucial taunt wailing on Wayne's world. I don't know how to do that, but I'm, I'm also uh, painfully awkward at times. And, um, <laughs> and you play the drums. I also play drums. Um, but yeah, when we watched it the other night, I was like, I, you know, Wayne and Garth are such a like funny pairing of personalities again, because they are both very uncool, but both kind of have just like accepted that this is where they're at in the world, you know? Wayne's got his collection of uh, name tags and hairnets and maybe just one day wants to do Wayne's world for a living. And um, we don't know a whole lot about what Garth's hopes and expectations are, but he's just like, he's just carrying on. He's got a crush on the, the girl at the donut shop, is painfully shy and is just gonna, watch her from a distance for possibly years <laughs> until the time is right but um yeah I definitely identify more with uh with Garth and now that I'm a, I'm an adult and have an understanding of what his personality is <laughs> yeah um, I, don't, I don't know if I can articulate why I'm a Wayne but I think I'm a Wayne yeah I think so too well he's got this kind of like uh like this this like confidence but it's not pretentious or like overbearing or um like snarky but he's like smart and kind of goofy and like 
a little bit confrontational and, um, you know, I think they're all very endearing characteristics, the way that he plays them. So I feel like you have a lot of those traits too. Thanks, babe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned crucial taunt. Yes, I did. Should we get into it? Let's get into it. First of all, <laughs> what is a crucial taunt? What the hell does this band name? I was like, I was trying to pause it last night. Like crucial meaning, you know, like, how do you articulate crucial? It's like something that's like critical or like an, an essential, yeah. Essential, right. <laughs> and then taunt. Like, Is it like a, a sick burn? Yeah. <laughs> sick burn's a pretty good band name, actually. Sick burn. Also, we hear we hear the all-time best band name in this movie, the Shitty Beatles. <laughs> you Beatles. Uh, so it's good. not just a clever name then. I use yeah. that line all the time, actually. <laughs> yeah. And we you had never noticed the Jolly Green Giants getting on stage. Oh, I'm so glad you pointed that out to me because yeah. in the so Crucial Taunt comes off stage, Tia Carrera walks into like a bar fight. Somebody spills a drink on her and she immediately beats the shit out of everybody that's in her way. <laughs> but in the background of this fight are just these like four dudes. They're wearing all like lavender. The dress is the Johnny Green Giant. Yeah. Yeah. And they have like lots of crazy hair. I don't know. I had never, ever noticed. I had never noticed it before. These like four ridiculous looking characters. And like what a just... That was that was a choice, you know. They decided to put these people in this scene because at the beginning, Meatloaf tells them when they walk in that Crucial Taunt's just finishing up, and they will, and then it's going to be the Jolly Green Giants and the Shitty Beatles. So, gee, I was just um, well. We should just take a moment to note that this is the second Meatloaf cameo. <laughs> yes, podcast because he was also driving the bus in Spice World. I was just listening to Mark Marin's interview with Penelope Spiros, the director, and I think she said, it was a throwaway comment, but I'm pretty sure she said that the Johnny Green Giants were specifically Lorne Michaels' idea. <laughs> sure. She was just kind of talking about what a weird guy he is, and she has like kind of a love-hate. They were friends way, way back. She worked on some early things on SNL. Um, and yeah, they were just talking about that, but she kind of made this throwaway comment about the kind of weird things that he thinks are funny. And I'm pretty sure she said. Yeah. Johnny. I mean, he's not wrong. It was funny. It was, it was funny. funny that it was even introduced as a band that was playing. And then it got funny again because they were actually there. Yeah. But, and um, they're very easy to miss. But yeah. so going back to Crucial Taunt, so it's Tia Carrera and then just three fucking guys. Like yeah, it doesn't. Just three metal dudes whatever, nondescript. The lead guitarist you see a couple of times because he's doing harmonies. Mm -hmm. he gets, I feel like he gets a couple of lines of dialogue, but the rest of Crucial Tom are very much background players. Yeah. Um, so Tia Carrera, I didn't know anything about her really other than Wayne's World. And then she was also post Wayne's World in the TV show Relic Hunter, which I don't know if you've seen. Um, no. It's, it's like, I would describe it as compellingly bad. <laughs> it's like, 
it had a few seasons and she's basically playing a cross between Indiana Jones and Lara Croft. Hmm. Like a sexy fighting bad guys archaeologist. Right. Yeah. I don't know what now. It doesn't have a very high budget. They were kind of going for the Buffy crowd, I think. Mm. Not. It's not great. So, but I guess before Wayne's World, she was in General Hospital for a couple of years. And she used to have a lot of bit parts and things like the A-Team. Um, I think she was an airwolf. You know, all the classics. <laughs> here, here she is. And like, she just turns up. Like, so she sang all the songs herself. That is yeah. her reassuring. Which is, which is awesome. Like, great voice. she's a great voice. And, you know, for the time, if we're talking 1992, like, th- this is a, good fucking band for 1992. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's said multiple times, she wails. Yes, she, she does wail. She doesn't really wail on, on the bass. No, I was at no point convinced by her bass playing. But she does a very good job of selling the entire thing. And her yes. Voice- yeah. Um, and we also um, discussed when we watched it the other night uh, was both of our introductions to Jimi Hendrix. I had never heard a Jimi Hendrix song before this movie. Yeah, and there's like two yes. magical Jimi Hendrix moments. Crucial Tone playing Fire. Mm-hmm. Which is our introduction to yeah. Cassandra and Crucial Taunt. Mm-hmm. And then God and his foxy lady moments. Yes, both iconic. Both iconic. <laughs> I mean, the soundtrack of this movie, we can get into the soundtrack in a minute, but it's in Crucial Taunt play two big covers yes and their cover of ballroom blitz which i don't even know who did the original i've really i've only ever heard that song as a cover really um and i think the crucial taunt version is probably the best just gonna say it yeah i mean it was um it was released as a single i actually saw it on seven inch once and i didn't buy it and i don't know why I remember that the other day. Why did I not buy that? <laughs> it was like at a yard sale. It was probably like a dollar. That's amazing. Um, and then there's two original songs. Yeah, like two and a half. They're kind of like, because as we discussed multiple times, like they also practice in this loft warehouse space that Cassandra lives practices in what her life is like we don't know but it seems awesome and magical and badass she just like is in this killer band she's got a cool loft in in aurora illinois i don't know it's because they're always talking about like I'm go- i gotta go to sh- i'm going to chicago to shoot the video with benjamin benjamin <laughs> yeah I don't, there's no explanation. There's a bit where she was like, she missed the show because she was working at the club. Was she working at the club or was she playing in the band at the club? Yeah, or is she like the house band, in the house band at the club? Like she does music. Like music is her full-time thing. So much so that she can charge people five bucks to come to her house and watch her and her band practice. Yeah. What, that, what, what life is that? That sounds amazing. I mean, 
basically Tia Carrera did us very, 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 very wrong expectations for what adulthood could be. She's she's cool and she's smart and she's tough and like she doesn't take shit from anybody. She doesn't take shit from Wayne. She doesn't take shit from the club manager. <laughs> After Wayne like makes an ass of himself introducing himself to her, she's like, I gotta go talk to the club owner. He's trying to dick me out of some money. And then she's like, bye. And we're like, what? Whoa. <laughs> uh, I just gonna say that I think all of the songs they played are covers. Are they? So, so, Boring Blitz, Boring Blitz was Fire This Week. Fire was obviously Jimi Hendrix. But then there's Why You Want to Break My Heart, which is what they're recording the video for, which was originally by someone called Dwight Twiley. I don't know who that is. And Touch Me is the oh, other yeah. one. It was originally recorded by Private Life. Hmm. So there you have it. You know what? Honestly, it doesn't even matter. She wins. She wins. It's great. It's a version of these songs now. So everyone else can just suck it. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, I did. I also like, I mean, she is just unbelievably hot as yeah. a human person. Um, she, I mean, I'm not totally into everything she wears. But like just as just as a person mm-hmm. with an incredible voice wailing and doing air quotes <laughs> on this guitar. She's she's just a phenomenal presence. Um so I and I say that because I feel like I'm already disqualifying what I'm about to say next. But I also thought it was notable that she was a woman, a straight woman in a band that guys were actually like into I don't know straight women in bands feel free to come <laughs> back on this boys boys never wanted never hit on me when I played shows and that continues but I think we're pretty <laughs> yeah, we may have established different reasons for that now <laughs> yeah I mean guys would come over to talk to me about equipment I would get that or like offer advice always love that always right what about having a bass player is my favorite one (laughs) um no never wow thanks I'm gonna change everything right yeah I had never thought of that before right and like (laughs) and you know I'm willing to accept that maybe some of these nerds coming and talking to me about pedals was their attempt at like I mean, possibly. Wayne doesn't do that. No. He, like, you know, somewhat charmingly, but not very smoothly, (laughs) irrespective of the band. Like, he loves the band and he thinks she's cool, but he's not, he doesn't make it about the music. Yeah. And I think that's, like, sadly quite notable. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and does make me think that this movie was not written by anybody who's ever been a woman in a band. But um, again, Tia Carrera doesn't look like most women in bands. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is like, it is cute the way that that Wayne kind of, he he tries, he's like, I, this seems impossible, right? Like she's a babe, she's in a band, 
she's a fucking badass. She could kick my ass at any minute. Um, but he still goes for it, you know, and he's still like, he knows he, he says this, this dumb thing about everybody Kung Fu fighting. And then he immediately knows that it was like a very stupid thing to say. And yeah. she knows it too. But then he still says like, can I call you? And she says, yeah, we got flyers at the door. She's like, fucking oh, power move. Amazing. On the flyer. Well, I don't door. think she did. She's like, you can't call me, but you can pay five bucks to come to my place. <laughs> and watch me play in the band. Amazing, amazing. But then he also learns Cantonese so he can talk to her and uh, tell her she's pretty in Cantonese. And then they have that hilarious conversation on the rooftop <laughs> about uh, his ex-girlfriend and her self-esteem issues and how he feels partly responsible for her terrible behavior. <laughs> it's really yeah, it's a really good conversation. He does later utter what I think is the only part of the movie that didn't age well, where he makes that joke about they're ordering Chinese food and he makes the sun right. joke, which, I, which was an ad lib, the internet tells me. Yes. Um, and it's exactly the kind of thing that people found funny in 1991. So mm -hmm. there it is. But other than that, for a movie that's like now 30 years old, it's surprisingly, yeah, almost. <laughs> um, surprisingly, no, like, really bad cultural goofs in it. I mean, they're arguably getting on the edge of some stuff around her ethnicity and his attempts to court her via it. Mm -hmm. um, just, I, I have hung out with multiple uh, friends of uh, an Asian persuasion who have had white men come up and say terrible things. <laughs> white guys just, just don't do it. Just, just don't. don't, just don't. Don't walk up to a human being and try and guess what they are. Yeah, it's not, it's not like a quiz, you know, it's not, yeah, don't, just don't. No, terrible. And I also do have a friend who has had a guy come up and start speaking Mandarin to her. And she's like, I don't speak Mandarin. I don't know what you're saying. Yeah. And we all kept doing it. Yeah, that's unfortunate. So, but I don't think Wayne quite gets there. Um, I think there's some worse stuff in Wayne's World 2. I think so too. I feel like this is also why Wayne's World 2 was not as... Uh, culturally relevant. <laughs> I it wasn't directed by Penelope Ferris. Yeah. Uh, which according to her, because she fell out with Mike Myers a little bit after the first one, because apparently what happened was he, his dad passed away. And as a consequence of dealing with that, he missed the test screenings. Um, so when it went out, well, no, before it went out, he finally saw cut and he wanted to change some things he didn't like some of the jokes she'd left out and the takes she'd chosen and whatever but it had been so resoundingly popular in the test screenings that she was like I don't want to touch it and they kind of fell out of that mm -hmm. but apparently the reason she didn't do Wendell 2 was not so much about that he wanted to do some stuff in the movie that the um that Lorne and the studio didn't like they didn't want it in the movie 
but they didn't want to tell him that. So they asked her to tell him that. And she's like, well, if I tell him that, then he's not going to want to work with me. And they're like, well, we need you to tell him. So they kind of put her in a no-win situation. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Apparently they're friends now. But um, that was a long tangent. Hi, Naomi here. Just popping in to let you know that we have a brand new website. You can find us at basebitchesmovieclub.com. This will be your one-stop shop to find all of our previous episodes, watch the movie trailers, and learn more about all of our guests. So that's basicbitchesmovieclub.com. All right, back to the show. I uh, I wanted to mention about um, Cassandra that um, it always makes me laugh when he goes to finally buy the guitar. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, I got up the line because she's like, wow, a 64 Fender Stratocaster <laughs> in classic white with triple single coil pickups and a whammy bar. And she really leans on the whammy mm-hmm. bar. Like, a really exciting element of it and um I really I really love it I mean that whole scene from the very beginning where they which I laughed at a lot when we watched it the other night when they drive by and you know he has to get out of the car and like they do this whole spiel and like this past time that I watched it I laughed more at Garth than I did at Wayne which is when I was (laughs) thinking about the like Maybe I'm maybe I'm a Garth actually. <laughs> well, that's also like pretty much around the first time that Garth talks to the camera. I think. Yeah. And he's like he does this he every does Friday. <laughs> Stop torturing yourself, man. <laughs> oh, also, I was laughing. I I was just laughing so hard, and it's just establishing shots of that stupid little car with flames on driving around like the weird suburbia of Aurora, Illinois. Just beautiful. Yeah. But I mean, that has like a real like documentary uh, sensibility to it just to like, not going to dress this up. We're just, we are establishing the environment that these people are coming from. And like, yeah. But it's all, there is comedy in the car. Yes, totally. and weird it is Mm -hmm. and you know small cars move differently from big (laughs) so it just looks odd moving through these environments and then like they're very particular about them being just streets filled with either chains or like really weirdly specific local businesses Mm -hmm. great names and it's like it's so smart you know exactly where they are you get right it's a pacer. That's the kind of that's the kind of car it is, right? Which I think was a very uh, it was definitely a, a very popular car of the late seventies, early eighties. So by the nineties, it was like, I mean, what was about the car? Should we uh, talk about the iconic Bohemian Rhapsody? Yeah, I mean, you know, it it holds up. It's still super funny. Also was definitely the first time I ever heard Bohemian Rhapsody and is probably single-handedly responsible for that song, like getting a second wind. Because um, mm. it, it, I mean, it's obviously always been a huge song, but I think like when it was in Wayne's World, it started getting played again a lot on like, not just classic rock radio, but on like alternative rock radio and like grunge radio stations because it, was so much like for that audience 
but I mean, it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant scene. <laughs> so Freddie Mercury died three months before this movie came out. Mm-hmm. I, I might be misremembering this because I was like nine, but I'm pretty sure they released um, Bohemian Rhapsody sort of in tribute to him when he died. I feel like I did already know it because mm-hmm. there was a, the music video that was just them playing it live somewhere um and then it was intercut with the like famous the four of them right 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 right. and i i think and i again very very likely i'm misremembering this but i think that they released it in tribute to him in november and then I don't, I don't know when the movie came out in the UK, but it, it, it basically was, a, I feel like it was a hit twice in one year. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me because I, I mean, I remember seeing the song in the movie and then hearing it a lot more often, but I don't know if it's, that it's just because I like recognized it and I, I was listening for it um, or because, yeah, it like got played a ton after the movie came out. Um, but I mean, I think that whole scene of them in the car, like, you know, they just like pile, it's like a clown car. Like they all, there's five dudes, they pile into this car. Well, there's four of them. And then they found, they find Phil who's partied out again. Um, and, and Garth delivers the iconic line. If you're going to spew, spew into this. See, like, that's also a thing. Like maybe I would be the one that has a little paper cup in my pocket. That's prepared for this inevitability. I don't want somebody to barf in my car. Why does he have that? Yeah. I love that. I love that about Garth. (laughs) And then they all, they're all in the car and like somehow the power of Bohemian Rhapsody like brings this guy back to life a little bit. And then they go pregame at the donut shop run by Al Bundy. Yeah. Which I remember at the time also being a huge deal because like, Everybody knew, everybody knew him from Married with Children. It was Ed O'Neill. And then he shows up in this movie as this like psychotic donut shop guy who's always freaking out all the customers, <laughs> talking about murder and stuff. Um, but it was, a, it was a big, that was a big cameo at the time. Yeah, I mean, I had no idea who he was. Um... That was like a bunch of people, you know, I didn't, I still have never really seen anything with Chris Farley and I didn't understand that that was a person of note, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's, uh, that was always my experience with watching anything that had a bunch of inside jokes in America. <laughs> the soundtrack is also just like very classic rock heavy, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was listening because I feel like there was some like very low background stuff that I didn't totally recognize, but it sounded like um, it could have been like an early grunge band, like Dinosaur Jr. or something, but it all actually sounded pretty much like Hendrix, you know, Queen. There is an ugly song. And there's a Temple of the Dog song. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. Well, that one I, I picked up. That's the one where they're in, um, when they go to Benjamin's apartment. Okay. Alice Cooper, obviously the famous Alice Cooper, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Dreamweaver, Gary Wright. Um, 
Oh, there is a sound garden. Sound garden. I guess that's it. That's really the only like, and I mean this. Um, so the "Feed My Frankenstein" Alice Cooper song was a new Alice Cooper song. Wasn't mm-hmm. that? Didn't we? I feel like we talked about this before that he agreed to be in the movie. Because- well, it was it was his um, manager whose name is Shep something. I think it's Shep Gordon. Um, there was a documentary about oh, right him. that Mike Myers produced. Yeah, he basically they wanted um, Alice Cooper to be performing eighteen, and the manager was like, "He'll be they'll be in the movie, but they're doing a new song." Yeah, that was that was the trade off, which is uh, like smart, and it doesn't really make a difference to the plot of the movie like it doesn't yeah. matter what song alice cooper is playing the point is alice cooper is playing and they get backstage passes so yeah i think it makes it better because feed my frankenstein is a fucking hilarious song it's I such really, a ridiculous song i really recommend it as a karaoke <laughs> you upset everybody in the room and it's wonderful yeah it's also like that era of alice cooper and it's very 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 over the top yes and like, 18 is a fucking great song but right. it's the same thing yeah it doesn't have the same like energy like stadium rock kind of energy that like for them to be psyched about going to the show and like being at the front and going backstage and stuff yeah, yeah. so I think it was the right choice all, all around yeah I agree and it's and like the Alice Cooper appearance is so good and also like so memorable yeah <laughs> You know, it's just like flip the whole thing around. It's Miliwake, which means, what does he say? Which means like the good land. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and it's just played so well. And like, that feels like, it's just that certain kind of humor where you like, you walk in, you expect it to be one thing. You've just seen Alice Cooper like jump out of a skeleton torso and sing this ridiculous song. And then you go backstage and you think he's going to be partying, but all his, uh, him and his friends are hanging out, giving you a little history lesson, letting you know that Milwaukee is one of the only cities to have elected three socialist mayors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you, Alice Cooper. <laughs> I feel like that probably is why he was like, actually, I mean, famous. I want to believe that. I want to believe that. Famously a big fan of both. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Does this guy know how to party or what? <laughs> so many and so many classic lines that like I just remember from my entire childhood you know is saying not at the end of everything it's like you can't just be sarcastic anymore you have to like say the thing and then declare that that's not what you meant um, yeah you know also the, um did you know that I did not know that like <laughs> I that a lot <laughs> mm-hmm yeah, it's, I mean, still enjoyable. And that is rare, you're right, for a movie that's al- almost 30 years old. Wow, that's insane. That feels old. crazy to me, but I know that it's true. But it was, I mean, it was a movie I watched so much when I was a kid. And I think like probably, um, you know, shaped a lot of my uh, humor in terms of like things that are just willfully like silly and goofy Mm -hmm. and the like idea of kind of rooting for the underdog um 
you know, like Wayne and Garth wanting so badly for their show to be successful that they like don't understand that they've totally sold out and have just been like scammed by this super sleazy TV executive. And then after the fact being like, bite me, you know, (laughs) just trying to get out of it because they don't like it and they know what's wrong. Again, I like what you've done here. Uh huh. Mm hmm. Oh yeah, that's also one of my other favorite Garth moments is when they're at the tiki bar. It's a classic. I I have recently ordered a giant tiki drink for myself, mm-hmm. um, but like he like drops the pen on the floor and he's like making eyes at the camera to follow him and he just like goes on this rant about the Twilight Zone when he's trying to like just be like this is weird, right? Are we doing the right thing? Like you know what happened in the Twilight Zone? <laughs> yeah. It- it really 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 holds up I'm kind of delighted to to find because it's it's been a couple of years I think since I last watched it yeah I feel like we did watch it like within the last couple of years but you know probably just like hey you know what movies always good Wayne's World but now that we watched it to like think about it to talk about it it's also very um rewarding that it's still it's still actually pretty good (laughs) yeah you know and musically for it to be you know my introduction to Jimi Hendrix Queen um and also very likely one of the first times I ever saw like a woman on stage in a rock band like kicking ass and being super like powerful and confident and like autonomous um pretty, pretty incredible. Definitely like singed into my memory for the rest of my life. Um, yeah. And I would say for me, it's also one of those things, which, you know, those of us who worked out our sexuality later in life, <laughs> I don't remember it any, like this wasn't seminal for me in terms of me going, Oh, I could do that. I didn't yeah. look at the Carrera and go, wow, I could do that because I am like, two foot shorter than her I've never looked that good in anything yes, I could same any of those outfits mm-hmm. I would never I didn't see myself no in that role but I was very 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 interested in her mm-hmm. yeah I would I would say the same thing and you know I I feel like the bigger kick the like tip off to me when I saw this was when Garth says uh when they're like on the hood of the car and he asks Wayne, did you ever find Bugs Bunny attractive when he dressed up like a girl and played a girl bunny? And I immediately went, yes. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh my, <laughs> my immediate response. Um, you know, and of course, Wayne says no. Wayne says no, and I think he's lying. I think he's lying. <laughs> you are never, ever, ever allowed to make fun of me having a crush on the Fox Robin Hood ever I, again. And I never have. He's very <laughs> handsome and charming. <laughs> you know so maybe we learned some some we all learned some valuable lessons from Wayne's World that have only become clear to us much much later on (laughs) but um you know really really great movie I'm glad that we're ending the season on this one because it is a movie that's you know also about kind of a, a like a power duo this like dream team these two people who kind of uh creative people who make something really fun and make their own world and um, just are doing their best to be real and honest about it. 
um, and something that we had a lot of fun watching and that somebody else didn't beat us to. So we asked a lot of people to be on this and, and they all picked great movies. We've had really great guests this uh, for the first season of the Basic Bitches Movie Club, but um, you know, there's more in store. Yeah, I mean, this is the point where we usually ask the guests uh, what they what they're up to. What right. people, I guess we should say that. Um, so this is the end of season one of Basic Bitches Movie Club. We're going to take a couple of months off, but we will be back with season two. We're already making a couple of plans. Plans might be stretching it. We have some ideas. <laughs> we have some ideas. <laughs> uh, and you know, in the meantime, we are also a band ourselves, Basic mm-hmm. Bitches. You can find us uh, pretty much everywhere. Um, we put out, as as some of you should know, like this podcast was inspired because we put out a record on January 1st this year, just pointing out it is this year for everybody working on their end of year lists already. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> Basic Bits is Go to the Movies where we wrote songs about a specific list of movies that we watched and responded to. Um, and that is up on all streaming services apart from Amazon for ethical reasons. And, um, you know, Bandcamp is the place to get it if you want to really help us out. But, you know, listen wherever. Um, we also have older records. We're starting to play shows. Yeah, I was going to say we have some shows coming up. Yeah. Pretty exciting. We've played two shows already. And um, yeah, in August, we're playing with Desert Sharks on August 20th, Desert Sharks, Free to Kill and Ugly. Um, and then August 27th, we're, we're playing with Creaking Kills. The, so the 20th, August 20th show is in Brooklyn and, or Ridgewood, technically Queens. <laughs> and um, <laughs> the 27th is upstate out of Ford, New York. But if you find us, on social media, you'll be able to find all the details of those. And um, we're working on a new record right now. So hopefully get that out to you probably early next year, I would guess at this point. Yeah, you know, and for a sneak peek of all the new material, just come to the show because we have like all new material to play at shows now um, because we haven't played anything for anybody in a year and a half. So it's pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, well, hey, great job. Good season. Crushed it. You know, it's been it's been pretty fun. I am, uh, as people may or may not know, I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of podcasts generally, but I think this one's good. <laughs> I wonder why you think this one's good. I don't know. I mean, my criteria are I have pretty high standards. You know, I like a focused conversation. I like interesting guests. Um, you know, I like some humor, but some thoughtfulness. Um, I don't like a lot of rambling. And I think we do a pretty good job of all of those things, so. I think so too. So um, yeah, I guess we'll leave you for now. And if you haven't listened to every episode, there, there's now 12 for you to go back and listen to. Um, and uh, we, we will be back probably in the fall. Mm-hmm. Party on, Wayne. Party on, God. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to Basic Bitches Movie Club, produced by us. Basic Bitches. If you would like to know more about us, please visit basicbitchesband.com. Don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe to this podcast on your provider of choice.